Welcome to the Lenten Series podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be able to join you in this season of reflection and repentance as we make our way to the commemoration of the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are joined in this season by some of Pittsburgh's most well-known and influential pastors who will be leading us on one of the Psalms each week. You can find more messages like this to aid in your Lenten and faith experience on our website, ccgf.org, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also keep up with Christ Church on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Here is this week's Lenten message. Grace and peace to you. It's a joy to be here. You know, uh, uh, Dr. Get, John Guest is iconic to pastors in the nation, let alone Pittsburgh. So I find it just such an honor to have any part of this and being in a list with, with he and the others that you've invited is uh, quite humbling. I'm the young guy in the group. You know, I, I turned 60 last year, yeah, baby, you know, I turned 60 last year, so young isn't usually what you're called at this point, but, but in that group, I'm the younger one, uh, uh, Dr. Ed Glover and I, and, uh, but uh, what an amazing privilege it is to be able to, to be with you all, and the impact that you've had in this city as a church in this region is uh, kind of hard to exaggerate. And your pastor, Craig, uh, Gosh, I got to tell you, having the privilege of spending, we've had lunch three or four times, and uh, wow, I, I'm so thrilled that God's called him here. I'm so thrilled to see churches that had become, if you will, just a part of the fabric of our city, have transitioned into another generation, and it's happening in many churches in the city right now, and to see it happening here with such intentionality and spending the time I, I've had the privilege with him. Uh, I'm so thrilled that he's here. I know God's hands on his life and I'm so thrilled for what God is going to do, not just in, in our generation, those my age, a little younger and some older, but emerging in the next generation that I'm sincerely praying that God will give them the wisdom, how to reach a world that has fallen into such unimaginable darkness. And so but we're praying for them, and it's just an honor to be with you. The message title out of Psalms 110 is The Lion and the Lamb. It's, it's such an interesting psalm because it shows you both sides of Jesus. It shows you him being the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, but also see, you see him as the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. You see him as a suffering Messiah, but then you also see him as a conquering king. So, so many people struggle with both aspects of Jesus. I talk to people often who don't know much of Scripture because, of course, they, they've never really been exposed to much. And they have a question. They say, what happened to God from the Old Testament to the New? Seemed like in the Old Testament, he was really upset and in a bad mood. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he changed. How many of y'all know God doesn't change? But something was dealt with that separated man from God, and it was the sin of, sin of man. And I want to talk to you tonight about that very thing. Whether you're here in person or watching online, I want to take you into Psalms uh, 110 and, and show you, of course, the soon returning conquering king. You know, Jesus came as, as a lamb, but he's returning as a lion. And, and I want to lay both of those out, my hope tonight, <clears throat> but more importantly than just a an understanding, but a, a revelation into your own heart that why Jesus came, you can fully enjoy and embrace 
as a Christian, if you're walking with God, and if you don't know God, that you understand the clear pathway into his presence and to have your sin stain eliminated. And so in the scripture, in Psalms 110, referring to Jesus as a conquering king, it says in verse five and six this, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. That sounds like a very unhappy day. <clears throat> Would you agree? That's probably not the day you want to be on that side of the ledger. <clears throat> but people, they question it. They say, well, why is God, want, why is he wanting to judge people like this? Why is he, it seems again, God went and got angry when you get closer to different places in the Bible, the book of Revelation, it's like he changed again. But he didn't. Sin demands a judgment. Sin demands a payment. And in the absence of that payment, the righteousness of a holy God must be satisfied. And we live in a world today where the scripture tells us God made man in his image. But we live in an hour where man is made a God in his image. God made man in his image and man returned the favor. And they fashioned a God like Aaron fashioned one out of the fires. And they worship a God of their own making. A God that will understand what they think he should understand and be who they think he should be, but the God that most have fashioned in their own soul to worship will die with the final breath of the worshiper because he's not real. To understand the, 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 the love of God, we must understand the judgment of sin. Jesus came to reveal the Father and he showed himself as, as, as truly God in flesh. And the, and the actions and the life and the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus as we soon celebrate his resurrection in Easter weekend in a couple weeks. We see the enormous price that was paid to redeem man. And how desperate God was to redeem mankind. And the price that he was willing to pay. And when human beings say that price is not for me, it's not sufficient for me. I will make my own God and serve him in my own way. God is very clear of what happens to sin that has not been dealt with by a savior. He said the day will come for those. And you find it in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Now listen to this sentence. Not wanting anyone to perish, including the ungodly, but everyone, say it out loud, everyone, everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. When, there is a, when Christ comes in, in his full glory, there is coming a reckoning. There is coming a final judgment. 
There is coming a judgment for those who have not received the sacrifice of the Savior. And this conquering king is God. And yet, because people look at the ministry of Jesus when he came as a suffering Messiah, as the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth, they don't understand that the revelation of what he did in, in his life upon this earth is a picture of the, of, of the depths of the, of the penalty of sin. The price that had to be paid to redeem mankind. It's not that God doesn't want to be intimate with man. God's holy and he cannot have sin in his presence. Jesus came as a suffering Messiah. In, the, in Psalms 110 verse 4 it says this. The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. Referring to Jesus, he said, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I was new in the Lord and began to read the Bible and I, I couldn't, the name I couldn't figure out, let alone what's that mean, the order of Melchizedek? It sounds like, I don't know, the Lions Club or something. What does that mean? It's critical that we understand when you get into the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, it, he brings you into that picture of why Jesus was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek and not after the Levitical priesthood. Because the Levitical priesthood had one purpose, but Jesus, the high priest of our faith, the one who would shed his blood, offer it up and carry it into the very throne of God himself was not a Levitical priest. Let me read it to you in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20. It said where Jesus went before us, and it's referring to the very throne of God. And he's entered on our behalf. And he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was the king of Salem and the priest of, of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth or a tithe of everything. First, his name, that is Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Melchizedek was a type of Christ. He, would, he, was, he was showing forth a, a high priest that would bring righteousness and peace. That would be able to literally to, to, to bridge the divide between the sin of man and a holy God. You see, the Levitical priesthood could do nothing about the stain of sin. It could do nothing about the conscience of the worshiper. And if you're not careful as a Christian, you will live under that same covenant if you're not cautious. Everything about the Levitical priesthood reminded you, reminded the, the worshiper of death. Blood was offered daily for the sins of the people sacrifices of every imaginable kind for every imaginable sin. Lamb after lamb after lamb after animal after heifer after pigeon after turtle dove. Blood everywhere. The smell of death everywhere. The smell of burning flesh everywhere. A constant reminder in the camp of our sin. The Levitical priesthood was pointing to a lamb that would be slain. The Levitical priesthood offered up thousands of spotless lambs pointing to the day when the Lamb of God 
would come. Jesus was the lamb. He also was the high priest that would offer up the lamb. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, after the Spirit of God was about to descend upon, just prior to, the, to, to Jesus beginning his ministry, he saw Jesus coming over the horizon and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who will bear the sin of the world. He didn't announce Jesus as a great teacher, though he was. When people say, well, you're a Christian if you follow the teachings of Jesus, I would say you're wise to follow the teachings of Jesus as a Christian because it is the word of God. But following the teachings of Jesus will not make you a Christian. Only a lamb that was slain could pay that debt. Jesus did not redeem mankind through teaching, though he taught. He redeemed mankind because God came in human flesh. Jesus revealed the terror of sin. Jesus revealed to the heart of every human being the devastation of separation between God and man. Isaiah the prophet spoke about Jesus some 700 years before his coming, and he said he will be called the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Peace on earth, the angel declared, God's goodwill toward men. And when I ask people, what did the angel mean? They think of peace on earth like no more wars between men. That's not what he was referring to. Jesus, being the prince of peace, was to bring peace between God and man, to reconcile a sin stain that could not be paid for by the sinner. And if we're not cautious for all of us, depending particularly even on your religious background. Now, my religious background, as you can tell, I'm Swedish. As an Italian kid, like many Italian people, I was raised as a Catholic boy. And I, I mean nothing derogatory about that, but that's all I knew. And I only knew what I, was, what I could see. And I, and I honestly didn't understand the, the, the redemptive work of Christ. And so I could only see God as I could, as I could know him by what I experienced. For so many precious people, they live and they die, and they never see a lamb that was slain for them. Oh, the love of God is so unimaginable that God could so love me that in his righteousness he would judge me guilty. And I would be separated from him forever in the regions of the damned. That upon death, separated from him, cast into a place called hell. And the day of final judgment when hell gives up her dead, cast ultimately into a lake of fire. Why? I don't like that part of the Bible. It doesn't matter what I like. I don't get to fashion the God that is. So often people will say to me, well, I don't believe that part. Well, you may not believe in the sunrise tomorrow. It's coming. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't change God. Again and again in scripture, it says, I'm the Lord. I don't change. I don't change by culture. I don't change by dictates of men and women. But why a prison house of suffering for eternity? Because that's, that's the outcome of the sin of the world. That's the outcome of the stain of sin upon man. But God's mercy, the scripture said, boasted against his judgment. And he judged me guilty. And then he 
literally came himself, born of a virgin. All God, all man. The law of God which drove us to the need for a savior, for no one had ever kept the law. There's none righteous, not even one. The scripture tells us if you fail in one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And the law was a tutor or a schoolmaster leading people to a savior because you cannot save yourself. And God, so rich in mercy for his love that he loved us with, sent Christ to die for the ungodly. And he was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless, spotless life. All God, all man. Suffering temptation, yet passing the test. I've, I've had people get upset with me through the years and say, Jesus could not have failed. And I said, he absolutely could have failed. Because the scripture said he was tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. If you cannot fail, you cannot be tempted. He passed the test that every man had ever failed. And, I don't, and now the spotless son of God is about to be crucified. And the scripture says, had Satan known it, he never would have inspired men to crucify the Lord of glory. He didn't know from the foundations of the earth that Jesus was a lamb that would be slain. God so desperately wants intimacy with man, not based on the foolishness of religion, but a father-son, father-daughter intimacy. That God sent his very own son and he lived a spotless, holy life, never failed in one part of the law and he hung on that cross and the wrath of God that was due me fell to him the punishment that was coming to me came to him in my place as the wrath of God the full judgment of sin fell to him what must it have been like for God in flesh to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What, could it, what kind of love pays that debt? It's only that kind of love that when you understand it will bring you to an intimacy with God where you will walk with God because of his great love and not because of the fear of God. And I don't mean reverential fear, but the terror of God. You see, because when you see Jesus as the lion, it can bring terror to your heart, and it should. But we should understand that he is the lamb, slain from the foundations of the earth, demonstrated the love of God and the goodness of God. And it's one thing to die in your sin. It's another thing to reject the, the debt paid by God himself. And in the hour in which we live, when a God, the God that most are serving in the culture is the one they make up. My longing for every human being is they will come to understand the depths of the love of God. That it's not a have to, it's a get to. Most people see serving God as what must I stop doing that I want to do and what must I begin to do that I don't want to do. Christianity is not torture. It's intimacy with God. It's, it's, it's that I will dwell in them and I will walk in them and they will be my God. And, 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 and I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus said, I'm not ashamed to call you 
my brothers and sisters. It's, the scripture says in Hebrews that Jesus himself and the ones he has made holy have the same father now. And he's not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. What kind of love is this? As we come together in this Lenten season, I want to celebrate with you the love of God. It's so easy to be captured by my yesterdays and not recognize that the Lamb of God took my sin. God's mercy boasting against my judgment. And the day that by the mercy and kindness of God, he found me and I bowed my knee to a Savior, something happened, a great exchange occurred that changed my eternal life. And there was none of it that I could do on my own. Easter is a recognition to me of the unimaginable love of God. How is it that the God of the universe so intimately desires to have fellowship and intimacy with his creation? Not as slaves, but as sons and daughters. Not as subjects that he deals with your sins so he could stomach you but so that you could be, as it were, not physically, but spiritually bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, literally a part of the very body of Christ. What kind of love is this? How would I live my everyday life if I believed this love? How would I face the issues of my life, the brokenness of my life, if I knew that his love was so exceeding that he paid this debt? The scripture said, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up, for us all in Romans, how shall he not with him freely give you all things? He withheld. He didn't withhold his very son from me. What good thing will he withhold? I'm so convinced if people could see the, the love of the father, that they would run to a relationship with God. That's why we're told in, in 2 Corinthians of a great exchange. When the, the lamb purchased a righteousness for mankind and brought peace between God and man. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, this portion of scripture is perhaps out of, out of all scriptures, this seems to resonate more in my heart than almost any because it encapsulates what Jesus did and how he did it and then what he asked me to do as a result. It's a pretty incredible few sentences. And let me read this to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, say it out loud, anyone. anyone. Say it again, please, anyone. This means anyone. No matter what you've done, no matter who you did it with, whether you got up and cursed God for 20 years, every morning of your life in five languages. There is no one too far from the kindness and the mercy of a redemptive Savior. Listen to what he said. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. Now listen, and all of this, not part of it, not just half of it, but all of this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. And here's, this, and here's the ministry. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now listen to these words. Not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message 
of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's very ambassadors. As though God were making his very appeal through us. And here's the appeal. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For God made Jesus, him who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ. The great exchange. He took my sin and he gave me right standing with the Father. Righteousness. The ability to stand before God without the sense of guilt and weakness and inferiority. Born of the Spirit of God. A partaker of divine nature. Having escaped the corruption, the scripture said, that is in the world through lust. Born of God's Spirit. Literally of his own will, the scripture said, he gave birth to us. And when he gave birth to you, he birthed you in righteousness, a new creation being, as if sin never existed before. And I love this declaration, and all of it is God. So many times through the years, somebody would say, I found the Lord. And I always try to correct folks because I didn't find the Lord. He wasn't lost. He found me. I almost can't believe to this day, I, I, I never fail to think about how can it be that the God of all creation intimately loves me? Obedience is not a duty, it's a privilege. Let me close with this. If you know the Lord, it's so easy for all of us, though, to slip into a sin consciousness and always trying to fix something so that God will love me more. And I'm not suggesting that righteous living is not important, it is. But we accomplish it not by human strength, but by the kindness and the grace of God that empowers me. Because there's something about the love of God that is the empowerment to walk with God. Jesus said it this way. If you love me, keep my commandments. My religious mind for years heard this. Prove you love me by doing what I say. But that's not what he said. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the question is, do I love him? Because if I do, Jesus said, I will do what he says. So how is it that I can love him? Well, I, I'll make greater commitments. No. I'll pray more. No. I'll read my Bible more. No. I'll witness and tell people about a savior, about the reconciling power. No. The scripture says we love him because he loved us first. And until we recognize the love of God was not initiated by my actions and is not deterred by my failures, I will live under the burden of sin the rest of my life, even as a Christian. But when I gave my life to Christ, he wiped my sin dead away. And all of it is of God and none of it is of me. All of it is mercy. Forgiveness is easy. When you realize you deserve none of your own. It's not hard to forgive when you understand the depths of which you've been forgiven. It's not hard to give grace when you freely receive grace. It's not hard to give mercy when you freely receive mercy. So as we wind down our time together this evening, I want to pray over all of us. And I, my hope is that if you're here and, or watching online or perhaps watching this at another time, if you were to draw your final breath on this planet and slip into an eternity,
do you know where you'd spend it? Do you know that on the other side of this life, there is one that lasts forever? That there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. And oh, the price that was paid to redeem you. Well, I think I'll go to heaven because I'm, I'm a good person. I'm sure you are. I commend you, but you can't be good enough. Why well, go to church? I'm a pastor. Wonderful, but it's not enough. I've received sacraments of my church. Wonderful. It's not enough, including the church I pastor. Only by bowing your knee to the one who gave his life for you. And he turns no one away. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as I pray this evening, if you've never given your life to Christ, or perhaps you've put your faith in your own doings, better than most type things, I would ask that you would invite him into your heart and he turns no one away and tell somebody when we're finished praying, I gave my life to Christ. And then I want to pray as well, generally over all of us, that God by his Holy Spirit would, would teach us to believe the amazing love of the Father so that I could know that he loved me first and love him back and live my life to please him from this father-son, father-daughter relationship that's birthed in love. My, my daughters, I have two girls and a son. My daughters, they're all grown up and they call me daddy. I would give them the earth with a fence around it when they call me that. I love them so much I can't breathe. When they call me daddy, my heart rate goes up because I love them and I'm human. Oh, the love of God. It exceeds human love. It exceeds the love of a father for his children, a love of a mother for their children. How can this be? But it's true. And I want to pray that God helps you and helps me to believe this great love. So let me pray on these two, these two lines and then Marcus is going to lead us in a, in a song as we, as we close this evening. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the the wonderful men and women in this room. I thank you for this great church. It's founding and all those that many that are with you now that, that, that helped establish this. I thank you for Pastor Craig, for your hand upon him to lead this generation into your presence. Give, give he and, and, and those in, that serve here the wisdom and the grace bring a generation far from heaven to be reconciled to God. Father, I pray if there'd be any under the sound of my voice that if they died today, they don't know where they'd spend their forever. I pray that they would bow their knee as it were and invite Christ into their life to receive him as the Lord of their life, the savior of their life, the redeemer of their sin and to receive him into their life and then walk with him. And he turns no one away and they will become a new creation and a great exchange will occur. Their sin debt will be canceled and they will, they will receive by grace through faith the righteousness of God through Jesus. And then Father, finally I pray for all of us that know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us to grasp the depths of your kindness and love and that we might be able to reflect that love to a dying world. Jesus, you said all men will know that we follow you by our love one for another. Help us to be people that are rooted and grounded in the love of the Father. 
And so, Father, we celebrate this Lenten season as Savior. Oh, how merciful you are. And I thank you for the privilege to share with these precious people in this wonderful place. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.